Please stand. Exodus chapter 2, verse number 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch. And she put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to it or to, to learn what would be done to the child, to her brother. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And the maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would control the service tonight. You would strengthen our faith as we look at the faith of this woman. May we see great things as she did as Joseph Kemp did, as so many others have. Bless us, we pray, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's begin by going back to 1 Peter and thinking about the first chapter for just a minute. There the apostle, the apostle speaks about our Christian faith. He says that we have been begotten unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Notice the importance of faith there. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. But Christ is coming again, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Based on the promises of God, we know and we believe that our Savior is going to return for his saints at some point in time. And when he appears, if we are here at the time, all our trials, all our pains will come to an end. They will be turned into joy. And at that time, we shall see that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Even though 
we may be suffering pain and penury and even persecution, we could and we should possess great joy, living in the expectation of receiving that for what we have believed and trusted God. The woman in Exodus 2 is an early example of the joy that is available to people whose faith is in Jehovah. As a direct result of her faith, she could have been able to sing Psalm 126 if it was available to her. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them in a dream. When was our, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing? They said among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. She could have sung a hymn like that. This woman was in the midst of trials that you and I can only begin to imagine. Her husband and her son were laboring as slaves in the hot African sun. Their lives belonged to the Egyptians. And those Egyptians feared the children of Abraham because they saw God blessing them. Chapter 1 and verse number 7, just, it just boils over. The children of Israel are fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied, and ex waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. I mean, the, the Israelites were doing pretty well. The growth of the slave community created an anxiety among the Egyptians which provoked more and more persecution. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And the Egyptians were grieved because of the children of Israel. Verse number 12. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. Things were getting worse and worse and worse for the people of Israel, despite the blessing of God on them. Outwardly, physically, secularly, things not so good. But the blessings of the Lord were there. This mother in Israel experienced that affliction as severely as did her son, her, son uh, her eldest son, and her husband. She had to struggle, as all wives do, to feed the family, make sure there were clothes on her kids' backs. She had to protect them. Then the king of the Egyptians issued a proclamation that all newborn Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. Specifically, those babies were to be cast into the Nile River, either to be drowned or eaten by crocodiles. Not a very pleasant thought. Immediately, I'm guessing, this woman began to grieve for her neighbors who were already pregnant. But then, shortly after that, she discovered that she was expecting her third child. What terror that news must have brought to the family. 
Can you imagine the turmoil that's roiling up in her heart? Could she even sleep? How many of the neighbor's children over the next nine months that this woman's expecting, how many of them were, were, were slain? Over the next few years, how many others died? It doesn't matter what the history of something might be, and it doesn't matter what is happening to others. What touches us is what actually touches us. Pharaoh's latest law had now become really personal to this woman. It was just out there before. Now she's caught in the middle of it. Now the burden which this woman had for others became a burden upon her own soul. Her prayers for others became prayers for herself and for her family. And similarly, her need to trust in the Lord took on a completely new practical aspect. What am I going to do? Faith is all about looking into the face of God while trying to ignore the ugly face of the facts. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Before we get to her faith, let's consider this woman herself. Her name is Jochebed, which means Jehovah is glorious. Exodus 6.20 tells us that Amram, the grandson of Levi, who is the son of Jacob, took him, Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. Does the near relationship between Jochebed and Amram indicate that there was no social fellowship within the slave community? Was there so little contact between families that children were forced to marry cousins and even closer relatives than that? Both the father and the mother of this coming baby were Levites, a tribe which Joseph had cursed. The Levites are going to be very important. They're going to be special. Not at this point in time. In Genesis 49, we read God's words through Jacob. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Their instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Cursed be their anger. It was fierce. Their wrath. It was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And that came to pass. As Levites, prior to the Exodus, Amram and Jochebed may have been demeaned even by fellow Hebrews. They may have been the lowest of the low, shall we say, even despised by others within their nation if they hadn't married within their own tribe, if they hadn't married within their extended families, they might not have married at all. I don't know. I'm using my imagination to some, a lot tonight. But it appears to me that the religion of the Hebrews, as it was decaying around these two, remained strong in these two. Faith is the victory, 
And victory is often the result of faith. Was this lady's name an indication of her parents' spirituality? Jehovah is glorious. Jochebed appears to have taught her children well, despite the circumstances that were against them. Miriam and Aaron became spiritual leaders in Israel during the Exodus. And the short time that she had with her third child, she instilled some early spiritual principles in him. In the midst of common life and uncommon trials, Jochebed became pregnant. Jewish commentaries declare that after Pharaoh's edict to kill the Israelite baby boys, gangs of inspectors were employed to sweep through the Hebrew ghettos looking for newborns and women that were expecting. Three months later, some say, some say that Jochebed found out about her own condition just after one of these inspections. And then three months later, she's not too far along, she was able to hide the fact that she was expecting. And then according to the Jews, she gave birth early. So she wasn't caught. Of course, this is only Jewish folklore, but there may be truth in it. I don't know. Eventually, the dreadful day arrived, a day which should have been joyful was not. The baby boy was born, and he was an absolutely beautiful baby, a goodly child. Stephen Deacon, way off into the book of Acts, said that he was exceeding fair. And then Paul, the writer of the Hebrews, says that he was a proper child. I'm sure that all the Hebrew mothers thought that their babies were beautiful. I remember when Micah was born. Mom said, this is the most beautiful child in the whole world. I remember that. I will never forget that. I'm sure that all these ladies thought their child was, was really really special, and wanted to save them. They tried to save them. And I'm sure the mothers who thought their babies were ugly did their best to save their babies. That's just the way mothers are. But it appears that Amram and Jochebed <coughs> believed there was something special about this child. This isn't just a good-looking baby. He's not just our baby. They saw something else there. The Jews say that the birth parents named him Joachim, which means established or raised by God. For three months, both before and after the baby's birth, this woman was trusting the Lord to protect them. There were probably hundreds of others, other mothers who were doing the same thing during that period of time. But there was something special about these two parents. They were motivated by faith to protect their child. Hebrews 11.23 tells us, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
They were not afraid. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Psalm 118. Two chapters after Hebrews 11, Paul exhorts the believers with the words, We may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. But it's not the fearless faith of Jochebed that I'm particularly interested in this evening. I'd like to move on from there. Consider the absolutely audacious faith which is next revealed about her. When her tiny baby began to flourish, it became harder and harder to keep him quiet and hidden. I don't know that this is true, but I wonder if, as it was in the days of uh, Nazi Germany in 39, 38, 40, I wonder if neighboring women were being rewarded for reporting babies to the authorities. They were old, they were mean, they were dried up, uh, but this young woman has a baby over there and I'll get uh, some money if I report. When the child was three months old, and just before the next sweep of the Egyptian Gestapo, Jacobed began to implement a bold plan which was rooted in her faith in Jehovah. <coughs> to keep the child and to try to hide him would have been tantamount to tempting God. And that, that's not Jacobed. Rather, she fashioned a little boat just big enough for her little baby. She made sure that it was seaworthy and comfortable. It had a cover over the top with air holes so that there'd be a little uh, flow of air through the thing. And probably during the night, so that she wouldn't be seen, she put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Her ark was made of bulrushes, or papyrus reeds, and the word flags refers to a plant similar to that, may have been the same, same plant. She risked her life by going, apparently, to a special place which belonged to the royals. She crashed the gate, so to speak. There she left the most precious thing in her life, this little baby. I admit to not having scriptural proof for a lot of these details, and many of my comments are coming from my own imagination, as you've probably already noticed. Nevertheless, I believe that Jochebed did things similar to what I'm describing here, and she did so out of faith. It appears that she moored her little craft in a spot where it might be found by the right person. But it was far enough away not to appear too obvious and not to be seen by someone that uh, she didn't want to find it. I wonder if she gave any thought to Noah's Ark during this time because there are some parallels here. Her Ark was also among the flags in order to keep it from floating out into the current of the river. And then, walking away, she committed her son to the Lord. She sacrificed her little baby 
to God, so to speak. There was only a small window of opportunity for the salvation of this child. An infant that small, if he was born premature, an infant this small would have to nurse quite often. And by the time the sun was coming up, he might have gone several hours without feeding. And then in the rising Egyptian heat, he would have died in less than a couple of hours, two, three hours at the very most, dead by noon because of the heat. What if one of the Nile's predators had smelled the baby and came looking for an easy meal? Did she find it easy to walk away? Did she... Was she smiling as she left him there in the river's edge? Or was she like us? I like being in control. I want to be able to make these major decisions. Was she like that? She's made her decision and it was to trust the Lord. We'll let him handle things. I have said in the past that Miriam, Moses' sister, was stationed nearby by her mother to facilitate the plan. I've spent a number of hours in the last three days thinking about this and reading the chapter and reading the chapter and reading the chapter. Based on these scriptures, I'm not so sure that that was the plan. Verse 4 says, And his his sister stood afar off to learn to wit what would be done to him. I am convinced that the mother laid this child in the ark and put the ark in the river in faith, trusting the Lord. But it doesn't sound like the sister was doing the same. I now doubt that Jochebed even knew that her daughter was there. She was probably not more than 10 years old. Maybe seven, seven, eight years old. This girl was there, apparently, from my understanding of that verse, was there to satisfy her own curiosity. She had learned to love this little baby. She doesn't want to lose this baby any more than mom does. She's there to to find out what happens. And yet, she was there because it was the will of God that she be there. The Lord is working upon this young girl's heart. It was in the plans of God, whether it was in the plans of Jochebed or not. Maybe it was, I don't, maybe I'm totally haywire here. But we know that the Lord was in charge of all of this. It's important that we learn to trust the Lord to work out His will, even when we're not permitted to watch especially when we're not in control. Lord, you take care of that. Did this mother in Israel know what the Lord was going to do? No. She might have had hopes, but she didn't know what was going to happen. Did she remember that God promised Abraham that his seed would be as plentiful as the stars in the heavens? Is Moses going to be a part of that? Did she believe that God had promised Israel that Canaan would be their homeland? And now here they are in Egypt. 
Something's got to happen. It seems she was living in the faith that Israel would soon leave that God-forsaken country. She was praying for a deliverer, just as we should be praying for the return of our Savior. Why couldn't the Lord come today? Why couldn't my son be the deliverer of the nation of Israel? Jochebed couldn't guarantee anything, of course, but she could certainly pray and trust the Lord. She cast everything she had on God, not fearing crocodiles, not fearing the current, not fearing the accursed Egyptians. Almost as audacious as Jochebed's faith was the way God blessed her faith. If we didn't find this history in the Bible, we might be tempted to think that it was a Jewish fairy tale. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. My research produced a number of reasons why she did that, going from eczema to uh, religious ceremonies. But it really doesn't matter because it was God's will she'd be there at that precise time within that tiny window of opportunity. Some say that she bathed in a special pool prepared at the edge of the Nile and filled with filtered water from the river. Others say that it was simply a secluded uh, backwater cove of some sort. The scripture suggests that she was left alone while her maidens left her to some privacy. And that provided opportunity for the princess to see the ark before anyone else did. If any other person found the baby, things might have gone very differently. The princess called and then sent one of her maidens out among the flags to receive the little boat that was out there. Was the baby crying at this point? When it was brought to her, she lifted the lid and let's just say that he had been asleep or he was in the dark within this little ark. The lid's lifted and the blazing sun goes into the baby's face and he begins to scream. He begins to cry. No doubt lots of women would have instantly fallen in love with this tearful child or at the very least been sympathetic to his needs, compassionate as the word is used here in this text. But this woman was special. Historians tell us that she was the only child of Pharaoh. It is said that she had been married for several years and that she had not yet given her husband a child, which meant that Pharaoh had no heir to the throne. Her purpose in life was to produce a son, and no doubt she was grieved that she's not been able to do that thus far. But when her eyes fell on this child she saw a solution to a difficult problem, an adoption. Yes, this is obviously a Hebrew child, but she was the daughter of Pharaoh. And if the king needed an heir, he needed an heir. 
And she was in a position with enough power to uh, take care of a difficult adoption process. It, it'll work. The faith of Moses' mother was being honored by the God who rules over all things. <coughs> Miriam was probably on hand completely of her own will, instantly found the boldness to risk her life to run up to this little cluster of women, although maybe she didn't consider it a risk at all. She's a, she's a 10-year-old, just barge right in there. One commentator suggested that some of the women were trying to nurse the child without any success. Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? It was only because of God's will that the princess agreed to any of this. She certainly didn't need to save this baby or to take this child. In fact, it was somewhat illogical for her to do it. To make a Hebrew baby the heir to Pharaoh's throne was bordering on the unimaginable. It was a miracle. And then Miriam heard the word, go. She ran off toward home to summon her mother to come to mother her brother. And when she arrived a few minutes later, Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. <coughs> Apparently this princess was uh, not as uh, wise as Solomon. Remember when Solomon was able to spot the true mother in a custody case? Was Jochebed able to hide the fact that she was this baby's mother, I think that would have been difficult. Wasn't it amazing that she could hide her joy? There were probably other emotions involved there as well. But stoically she came right up and said, yes ma'am, what would you like? Or was the princess so overwhelmed with the situation she just did not notice what was going on in Jochebed's face. On the other hand, maybe she simply chose not to care. She saw it. Take care of this baby. Again, it doesn't matter because this was God's will and he was in complete control of the whole situation. The omnipotent, almighty, sovereign God was doing exact, exceedingly abundantly above all for which Jochebed asked or even dared to hope. Not only was her son spared from certain death, but she had the privilege to take him and hold him to her breast for a number of months. Not only did she get to see her baby grow into a little boy, but she was going to be given a royal salary to help him develop. She was going to be generously paid to do what any mother would have done for nothing at all. I've heard preachers say that Jochebed and Amram had the opportunity to raise their son into his adolescent years. I doubt that. Uh, but I have to admit that verse 10 doesn't shed much light on the idea. All we're told is that the child grew 
And Jochebed brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. I think that most likely Moses' mother nursed her son for three years or so, maybe a little more than that, with the princess checking on his progress from time to time. The princess, that woman, certainly lost no interest in this child who she intends to adopt, maybe already has adopted. And when the child was weaned, that was when he was brought to the royal palace. But those three years that Jochebed had with Moses were extremely important. And she was able to instill some spiritual truth. A few minutes ago, I quoted the beginning of Psalm 126. Please turn to that psalm. It is one of the psalms of degrees that were often sung by the pilgrims as they went from Galilee down to Jerusalem for uh, the feasts. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. They were amazed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. My purpose in this series of lessons is this. I yearn to see the Lord turn again our captivity. And once again do great things for us and among us. I long to see us using this baptistry on a regular basis. Because the Lord is once again saving souls in this place. I want to be able to rejoice in bringing the Lord's sheaves into his church. Our church. I'm praying for revival. For a stirring of the Holy Spirit. Similar to what the Lord has done in other places at other times. But I'm convinced that unless we are pleading with the Lord. Tearfully sowing the seed. And trusting him for the harvest. We're not going to see much harvest. Our mouths are not going to be filled with laughter and song until we are extending our faith by risking ourselves while trusting the Lord for his glorious will. Jochebed teaches us that the only way to fully experience God's miraculous power and control over all things is to step out and in some way release our faith. In a sense, we possess the Savior. He's a part of our family. He lives in our home church. But until we are willing to set him free, we're not going to see the blessings. The key to our reception of the blessing of God is our faith. Real, practical, sacrificial faith. Faith. 